I'm April Towery. I'm the Dallas City Hall reporter for Candy's Dirt, and I'm your guest host, first time ever, today for Dallas Dirt, and I'm here with Chad West. Honored, honored to be here on, on your inaugural uh, yeah. substitution for, for Candy today on Candy's Dirt. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here. Thank uh, you. So Chad is the District 1 City Councilman. This is his third term, mm-hmm. and uh, he's chairing the Government Performance and Financial Management Committee. Nice job. The hardest committee name to say. Well, there's like a couple more that are pretty difficult, but it's it's uh, not an easy one to say. We were basically the audit committee for the city. So anything that involves, um, you know, revenue, making money, or auditing various city departments, that comes to my committee, which is made up of five council members. That's a, that's a big one. It is. It's the only one that's enshrined in the charter. Um, it's. It's. Been, I don't know why, but I know it's been in there since longer than I've been paying attention to city government. I think there was probably some shenanigans back, back in the day that required council members to to really pay more attention and not just rubber stamp what was going on as city government. And so it it has survived in the charter um, through now. And we've taken it upon ourselves to dig into real estate issues, um, permitting. Uh, all the fun stuff that uh, that um, matters to to me as a homeowner and as a as a developer, and I think to a lot of other folks. You are a member of the Housing and Homeless Solutions Committee, but you're not the chair of that. Um, That's correct. But you make sure these um, housing issues get before the committee that you do chair. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, so. When I first got in city council back in 2019, the mayor uh, Mayor Johnson appointed me to chair Housing and Homelessness Solutions, mm-hmm. and I took it. It wasn't the one I wanted. I'll be honest with you. I, I was more interested in transportation um, and economic development, but I got housing and homelessness. And I really took it upon myself to, to dive in and, and, and go deep. Um, mayor since moved on, pointed other people since my time ended. And I've realized over the last few years that really the, the, I don't want to say crisis. I don't want to use that word, but the the crisis of the future, I guess, if we if we don't address it for our city, is is the lack of housing, workforce housing, housing for rent, housing for sale in the city. If we don't take it seriously, we will end up like Seattle, Portland, San Francisco, New York City, where people are priced out. You see your homelessness numbers go up. I mean, that's what all the experts are telling us. It's not just me making up data. Um, you know, we're hearing that when we're getting briefed and um, we have to take it seriously as a city. And that means um, investigating all policies that are available to us that are best practices throughout the country. And that means getting out of our comfort zone yeah. occasionally. So what are you going to do about it? <laughs> well, um, I mean, where do you want to start? I think that the thing that might have gotten your attention was our uh, lot size memorandum. You know, so the memorandum was filed. And it simply seeks, if you, if you pull it up, um, it simply seeks to create a discussion, start talking about best practices. It doesn't, as some people might say incorrectly, it doesn't say we're trying to come out and just demolish single family neighborhoods or put up apartments you know, next, to, next to your home. That, that is completely not what it does. It simply asks to open a discussion, look at best practices nationwide on what other cities are doing on potentially reducing the required lot sizes in the city on the on one hand. On the other hand, um, allowing for gentle density um, in our neighborhoods where it makes sense. So it's it's a it's a discussion 
for us to look at best practices. We have been talking about the first item. Um, we have a minimum lot size in the city of Dallas of 5,000 square feet. So that's a 50 by 100 lot. You drive into my neighborhood, North Oak Cliff, you know, Kessler Park, Bishop Arts, on the areas, excuse me, I represent. A lot of our neighborhoods there have those lot sizes. Winneka Heights is a perfect example. Beautiful streets, wonderful homes, um, uh, 1920s, 1930s architecture um, with these perfect uh, Norman Rockwell fences and lots, exactly what you'd see on a cover of one of those magazines, right? But not everybody wants that anymore. You know, we're seeing from millennials, they're okay with less space. They don't necessarily want big yards. They're interested in something different, a different kind of product. And these lot sizes that have been in the city of Dallas have existed from the 1950s and 1960s when our city was, was less than half the size it is now. And it was more of a suburban type city. We have changed since the 1950s and 60s. We're a much different city now. We're going to be a much different city 40, 50 years in the future. And we need to at least talk about practices that other cities are looking at. So that's minimum lot size. The other item is general density. And that's consideration for allowing on vacant lots. I'm very clear about that. Twoplexes, threeplexes, and fourplexes to be built in context with the existing neighborhood. I referenced Winneka Heights. Winneka Heights is a perfect example of a historic neighborhood in our city and, and widely trumpeted by people is, is a great example of preserving um, the fabric of our city. If you walk down any street in Winneka Heights, you will find duplexes, three and four plexes, six and eight plexes in some cases at the, at the corners built in ways where they look like they belong and you wouldn't even notice them if you weren't looking for them. And you know where else you'll see them? You'll see them in Highland Park because when the, in 1920s, 1910s, when Highland Park was built for, to service all these mansions on some of the side streets, you'll have the duplexes, the triplexes, the aplexes for the workers to live in. And they still survive today in a lot of, a lot of parts of Highland Park. If they can work in the 1920s and 30s, they can work now. And it's a way to get our workforce our aging seniors, our college kids who are coming out and starting their first job to provide them places to live in our city and not push them into the suburbs. Okay, what's your what's your solution to how to implement this? It, can it be, we've heard people say they do not want a blanket citywide approach. Um, then how? Well, so I don't think there's a one size fits all for the whole city. I mean, you have neighborhoods in Preston Hollow, for example, that have multiple acre lots. You have um, smaller lots in East Dallas and North Oak Cliff. Um, and so it putting in a you know small lot in, or a duplex zoning in, in certain, some of these neighborhoods may not make perfect sense. I wanna understand how cities like Minneapolis, how Houston, how Austin have actually done this and made this contextually sensitive to the neighborhoods. I, I need staff to be able to brief us to do that. And, um, and and that's all we're asking for. What happened at that December 19th Housing and Homelessness Solutions Committee where you were not there? Uh, it was kind of called last minute. And uh, we heard from some folks who were like, well, we can count to eight and see this is not going to happen. Like, was that... Um, 
was that kind of a shady setup or um, are there people that do not want that conversation about minimum lot size reduction to take place at all? Both. Um, I think it was both a shady setup and I think it was stopping the conversation before it even takes place. Um, but going back, it's the fear mongering that is really putting a, a clamp on, on these discussions. It's this, the neighbors that show up for this meeting, you know, that you were, you were talking about, which was set up to fail from the beginning. Uh, when it was set during a time when myself and, and another person on the memo were out of town and the chair knew that, and it was set up in a way where people who opposed this from the outright and don't even want to talk about it were allowed a forum to come up there and complain and to set it up for failure. We've got to turn that around in our city. Like we, we, we're a democracy. We are a place where we should be able to have a healthy discussion, and we may disagree, but we don't want to shut people down without even having a conversation. And that's what bothers me in, about the whole process. What is your response to people who say that you are trying to uh, make Dallas like Austin? <laughs> it's just not true. I mean, Austin is great in some ways. I don't live there for a reason. I love Dallas. We're not trying to emulate Austin, uh, at least in my mind. Um, but I will tell you on this issue, Austin is a little bit more at the forefront than we are. Austin has is at a worse crisis level of housing. Um, their housing uh, prices are, are very high there. They've had a lot of tech companies move um, from California into the area, and they're trying to address some of the the affordability issues um our average home price in the city of dallas now is over five hundred thousand dollars that's up a couple hundred thousand dollars from when i um started even on city council it has skyrocketed in, in the last few years and you know why it's the it's the covid moves that have brought everyone here um, from the west coast and the east coast we have a favorable economy and one of the reasons for that is we have affordable housing if we don't have that we do become like the West Coast or the East Coast. At least that's what, you know, data will show. I want to talk about the bond a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I, I hope we have we have some time to get into that. And the the timing of it is interesting because um, I think y'all will be making a decision soon on when that election will be and, uh, and how the money is going to be divvied up. And um, that may have happened by the time this airs. But... Um, <laughs> But what are your priorities for the bonds? You've got about a billion dollars um, and change. And where where would you like to see a lot of that money go? Where would your residents like to see a lot of that money go? Yeah, so the city, uh, we have um, $1.1 billion is what was proposed. Uh, I believe the city managers got capacity to go up to $1.25. So we have a little bit of room to add a few more things in there. What you probably won't hear uh, publicly, but you'll hear if you talk to your city council members, is we have got to deliver on some things for our districts. We've got, we are expected to bring home a few projects, all of us. It doesn't matter who it is. Citywide, you know, we're looking, I mentioned the police academy. We're um, desperate need of that. Man, if you haven't ever visited the police academy, it is in sad shape. It's terrible. It, it's embarrassing that we, we train our officers there. We've got um, some major parks projects like um, the Gateway Deck Park in Oak Cliff, which is a, is a citywide major project, golf course renovations. Um, and 
some of my colleagues, myself included, are pushing for a lot of money for street repairs. I mean, that's the one thing. If you go really go back to basics, which the mayor has said many times, you're looking at uh, potholes, um, you know, police and and uh, and property taxes and uh, potholes really references us doing well what a city should do, which is maintaining infrastructure. And uh, and we if we don't put four or five four fifty to five hundred million on our streets, we are going to be looking at continued degradation over time of our streets. We've got to put that much money in just to maintain current levels. How do you think housing will end up in this bond? I will tell you one thing that came out of this that's so inspiring to see this the bond process is that for the first time since I've been on council, I think ever actually, we actually have organized housing advocates um, that are that are out there, uh, you know, picketing, showing up at meetings in shirts, actually caring about people to be able to live in our city. Um, you know, this is one of the comments that frustrates me the most, or one of the situations is, you know, you and I were talking about the daycare ordinance before we came in here, and there were a bunch of NIMBYs that showed up, um, wanted to keep daycares out of single-family neighborhoods. And so same people showing up, um, not wanting lot size reform, not wanting general density. And these are people who are privileged enough to either not work, most of them are retired, and they're showing up and you know, they, a lot of them are generally scared. They want to protect their neighborhoods, um, fed with misinformation a lot of times as well. But the people who really need the housing, who need daycares and single family neighborhoods, um, those are the ones, they don't have time to go to city hall and sit all day. And so to have advocates now like the Dallas Housing Coalition show up and advocate for, for others who, who really need them and probably don't even know they have advocates, that's just awesome. Outstanding, and I like that they'll say sometimes, like I took off work today from my job as a school teacher, so yeah. I could be here. And um, yeah, it's it's that's Adam Lamont. Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's he's and he's the leader of of one of the groups, um, and he he will literally take a personal day and go sit at city hall all day to advocate. And you know, if they're the issue that they're there for comes up later in the day, like you'll originally see fifteen to fifty people in the same shirts and then they'll peel off over time as I got to go back to work. They can't sit there. I, I know exactly what my constituents are wanting. They have been telling me this for five years. I've been hearing about some of these projects since Scott Griggs time on, uh, on city council. And, um, and I've got to get those done. And so for me to support the bigger projects across the city and namely housing, our police academy and some other very important, important things, um, I've got to get some projects done in my district. And two of those involved uh, traffic safety, reduction in, in lanes on Jefferson Boulevard, and the worst intersection in the world, in my mind, which is the Sylvan, Colorado intersection. It is an absolute nightmare. I don't think statistically it's the worst in the world, but if you talk to my neighbors, they'll tell you it is. Uh, it's a lot of accidents. It's very dangerous. I personally had an accident there 10 years ago. Um, now I've got to get those done in addition to uh, uh, getting the North Oak Cliff Library redone, which we are trying to put housing on top, which is a, that was one of the things we talked about today with a couple of my colleagues was um, if we put money into the bond for the library, is it, um, is it gonna go in the library budget or something else? And it's very possible it could be a combination of the library funds and also funds designated for housing 
to build the library. So it's not just an easy, all right, plug money in here or here. There's combinations of, money, of dollars that can be used on different projects. And the North Oak Cliff Library, is it needs to be redone. We have an opportunity there, if you know Bishop Arts, for um, one of the problems in Bishop Arts or challenges is that we don't have any green space. There's no open space for like a outdoor music or um, kids to play after they've eaten all the ice cream and cookies down there. And um, it's that's one of the challenges I have with my kids even. You, know, you can't let them run in the street. And so where are they gonna go? There's nowhere. There's, with the North Oak Cliff Library redo, we have an opportunity out front to put green space, which would help be the bridge between Jefferson and Bishop Arts, which we've needed for so long, and also have the open space for the kids. Um, anything else you wanna add? I think we're good. I just uh, would encourage listeners um, to keep an open mind to the housing policies that come up. I mean, these are so important to our city, uh, and we will end up, if we're not careful, we are going to end up with a city that's, that's like Highland Park. It's just prices everyone out. Now, that, that helps me. I've got a home already and helps a lot of people, but if we want, I want to have a city where my kids can live um, after college and come back and be able to afford a house. Um, you know, I love Highland Park. I think it's a beautiful place. I love the homes there, but it's not affordable for most Dallasites. And we've we've got to be able to to have an open discussion without the pitchforks coming out immediately. You could always disagree in the end, but let's be willing to talk about things and, and welcome all views to the table. Awesome. Well, we will be watching and we will be covering those meetings. Some of them are very long meetings, but I'll be there. Well, I appreciate you deep diving because uh, very few reporters in the city do it on to the level you do because it's so complex. Yeah, it is. Um, well, I am, it's an honor to, to work with you guys. Um, and I think that is it for us. Thank you for listening to Dallas Dirt. And we will be back next week with Candy Evans. That does it for this episode of Dallas Dirt. Join us the next time as we dig into DFW's hottest real estate news with host Candy Evans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or YouTube to receive every new episode. And if you like the episode, give it five stars and tell a friend. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to seeing you the next time. This episode was recorded at the Real News Communications Network Studios in Dallas and is copyrighted by Dallas Dirt.